Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, an Easter sermon that I hope will help you to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus more fully. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to do something. Something I haven't asked of you in quite some time, but I think it's important to do it before this sermon plays. If this sermon or any of our sermons or even content online helps you in any way, if God uses it to make a difference in your life, if you're impacted by it, then we would love for you to go to creekside.me respond and fill out the form there so that we can know. We want to know when your life has been impacted by God through what we've done, partly so that we can celebrate it, partly so that we can pray for you, and partly so that we can help you in your spiritual journey if that's something you want from us. So again, if God uses this sermon or any of our sermons to impact your life, please go to creekside.me respond. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I, uh, you know, my dad mentioned this. My dad's the guy that said hello at the beginning and talked about, uh, you know, my, my grandparents, my uncle being here. And, and yesterday we had this, this great moment outside of their favorite Mexican food restaurant, not mine, but uh, uh, where we saw them and hugged them. I mean, we've seen them, but where we hugged them and, and then ate with them for the first time in over a year. And if you, if you knew how close I was to those people sitting over there right now, um, it was, it was a glorious experience and an experience worth celebrating. And there are, there are times, I'm going to segue that into basketball, but there, there are times that call for just unfettered celebration, right? Like rejoicing to use a church word. And I don't, did anybody see that Gonzaga game last night? Like, uh, I, I mean, I don't even care. I'm watching these two teams. I only caught the end of the game. Uh, ran upstairs because I'd been listening to it on the radio. Literally don't care who wins. One's in the Pac-12. I feel good if they win. Gonzaga's here in the Northwest and felt good if they win. And then this, this kid runs down uh, and hits, hits a bank shot um, from 50 feet at the buzzer to win the game. And I go absolutely crazy like, like this was my son. That's how I described it to somebody. Like my son had just hit the winning shot. We live in a condo. Our neighbors are probably thinking like, wow, like something really great happened to that family. But it was just, it, w- it was just like this natural, I jumped, I yelled, Hudson was trying to go to bed and I'm, Hudson, get down here. You got to come watch this replay right now. Um, like Bryn's coming down the stairs. It was an exciting, exciting moment. And it would, I think, especially for the kids on the court, for their coach, like it would have been weird if they just walked off like, ooh, we did it, you know. Uh, and I, I experienced a moment like that, actually. Let me switch sports. Um, but I was golfing one time with, when I was the youth pastor with a kid in our youth group and I was playing down at Charbonneau just down the freeway here and uh, has a lot of short par fours and uh, I hit my hybrid and I hit a good one and, and it you know was, I don't know, maybe uh, 20, 30 feet short of the green or something like that. And <laughs> I try to never take phone calls when I'm golfing is a rule of my life. Uh, it goes way back, this rule, because it, it can just ruin a perfectly nice afternoon if you get the wrong phone call. So it's like, if they died, I'll find out about it once I'm done with this four-hour round right here. But I was buying a car this particular day that I hit this nice shot off of, uh, you know, this at this short par four. And 
so I was waiting because I was setting up a car loan. So I was waiting for this call from, from my credit union that I used to get uh, my car loans through until they ticked me off. Um, and so I get this call as I'm walking towards this great shot. Like I'm just walking down the fairway. Call comes, like I gotta take this, talk to the kid in the youth group with me. I come up to my ball. I don't want him to have to wait. There maybe was people behind us. So I'm doing this, you know, with the cell phone, trying to, trying to set this car loan up. Like, yeah, that's fine. That's a good interest rate. And I, I chip it and it goes in for an eagle. This is an eagle. This is two less than you're supposed to do it in. And everything in me wanted to like run down the fairway screaming and jumping and I've only had a few eagles in my life and they usually are followed by me looking like an idiot and probably ticking the guy off on the next hole but I got this lady and I'm doing business so I'm, I look up he sees it we make eye contact and I'm like <laughs> and it felt horribly unnatural not to celebrate this this really great moment and and here's the reality for us who believe in the resurrection. This is a day that should compel us to celebrate like we know how incredible this moment is. And it should feel very unnatural to not celebrate Easter, to not celebrate, you know, passionately the resurrection of Jesus and and the memory of the resurrection of Jesus all these years later. And here's kind of, you know, I would ask this question, but I'm going to I'm going to answer it for you, but uh, if you'd fill in this blank, I would celebrate, worship, honor, glorify God more for the resurrection if, you can kind of fill in that blank. And, And I think, I think the answer is, I think the real answer to that question, you might say like if I had more time or you know if there was less distractions in my life, but I, I think the real answer is we would celebrate Easter more if we more fully understood all that it accomplished for us. I think, in fact, that the more we grasp, and I don't just mean intellectually, I mean like in our souls, the more we understand, you know, in the places people can't see what the resurrection accomplished for us, the more we will celebrate it, the more fully we will celebrate it. Now, for some people, you know, you're not, you've never embraced, you know, Jesus at all and you don't care about his resurrection, maybe never even thought about his resurrection. You know, you'll celebrate the nice things of Easter. I like that people dress up. I've always said that Easter would be one of my favorite holidays even if I wasn't a Christian. So you'll celebrate like the nice outfits and the the nice food that you'll have later today in our photo booth. Usually we have a great meal together and I love that meal. Um, You'll celebrate those things but it will be nowhere near like, like the Christians in the room. But for us as Christians even, I think we'll celebrate less if we grasp less how much that resurrection accomplished for us. And and that's, I think, kind of what we see in our passage today. We're going to look at uh, Romans 11, 33 through 36. I'm going to read it first. I'll talk about it a little, and then I'm going to tell you why it falls right where it falls in the book of Romans, the letter called Romans. Here's what it says. This is just a big celebration by the author. His name is Paul. He wrote this letter called Romans. It's a big celebration of the work of God in his life. He says this, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be glory forever amen 
This is what's called a doxology. That's the name of my sermon today. This is a doxology. Wikipedia defines a doxology as a short hymn of praise to God in various forms of Christian worship, often added to the end of uh, psalms and hymns. And this is exactly what it is. And, and, And it's interesting because doxologies, this is what they are in the Bible. They are these brief moments where the authors of scriptural books as inspired by God himself to write, where they stop explaining, they stop telling, and all of a sudden they just break forth in celebration. These are the moments where it's like they realize all that they've talked about, all they've written about, how important it is, and they just break forth in celebration. They can't do this anymore. They have to just scream out how great is God. How great is God. The message of Romans, which is this great book about the letter of Romans. It says, step by step, talking about Paul, he has shown how God has revealed his way of putting sinners right with himself, how Christ died for our sins, was raised for our justification, how we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection, how the Christian life is lived not under the law, but under the spirit, and how God plans to incorporate the fullness of Israel and of the Gentiles into his new community. Now he stops out of breath. Analysis and argument must give way to adoration. Analysis and argument must give way to adoration. It's interesting because uh, we know that feeling, right? And and if you watched the game last night, you, you know it because the commentators are there to explain the game to you, you know, sometimes way too much, especially if it's Bill Walton, uh, like just way too much talking, but they're uh, analyzing and uh, he did this and he did that and you see this back screen. And when something like this shot goes in to end a game, banking off from 50 feet, what happens? They lose their minds, right? They just, all of a sudden, analysis and argument absolutely give way to adoration. They're just excited about what they've just witnessed. And that's exactly what happens to Paul in this passage of scripture. This is his longest, I think this is interesting, if nothing else. This is his longest doxology. He wrote, you know, a lot of the letters that we, that we look at as the Bible, especially uh, the New Testament and, and this is his longest doxology, and it follows really his lengthiest, most in-depth description, explanation, argument of what we call the gospel, the story of what Jesus did for the world. And that makes sense to me because I think as Paul lays it all out, it's like all of a sudden his own understanding, his own explanation is so much fuller than maybe it is in other places as he writes that he has to worship more. It goes back to what I said at the beginning that the more we understand all that Jesus accomplished for us, all that the resurrection accomplished for us, the more we are going to celebrate it. And here as Paul writes it out in the, you know, the most profound and deep way the world has ever known. He gets to the end of that explanation. We'll talk more about this. And he just bursts forth in praise. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time dissecting this passage of scripture. I think to dissect a doxology is to ruin a doxology sometimes. Can you imagine at the end of a basketball game if, if you were just analyzing how the people were celebrating? Well, he didn't jump quite as high as the other guy. Can you, I, that's no good, right? It's beautiful, it's, 
it's profound, it's worshipful, it's thankful, and to dissect it in some ways is to just ruin it. But there's a couple of things that I wanna point out at the beginning and then you know uh, something at the, quickly at the end of my sermon. Uh, and in the middle, I just wanna lay forth the context for you. Uh, but here's the first thing. Notice the phrase, the depth of the riches. There's actually two ways to understand the, the first verse of this doxology. And one is that it would be uh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And I read that to you earlier in the New International Version of the Bible, that translation. However, I think the better way to actually understand this, and it seems like uh, a majority of, of translations go with this, it's actually the depth of the riches and of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul is focusing not on one thing, just the wisdom and knowledge of God, but on two things, the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. I love, I love this idea of the depth of the riches because it pictures God having this bottomless treasure of blessing that he wants to bestow upon people. There are tons of verses in the Bible about God's richness, his wealth towards us, towards humans, especially towards those who have become Christians. And, and, and I think this is so important because I know so many people try to find satisfaction apart from Christ. And you know, a lot of times it's actually in money, right? Like people work and work and work to have more money because they think that that's going to leave them feeling satisfied. Sometimes it's athletic, sometimes it's being liked by other people. And what people find, <laughs> every single person eventually finds, is that nothing on this earth that we think is going to satisfy us ever satisfies us. We just keep wanting more and more and more and more. But there is a, there's a God who can actually fill the bottomless pit that is your soul. And he does that out of his abundant grace and his incredible riches, his richness towards us. I'll just tell you the truth this morning. You will find fulfillment in God or you will not find fulfillment at all. That's the reality. I know that scripturally, but I just know that anecdotally as well. I've seen enough. And you, you ever hear a famous person or a wealthy person talk? They'll be the first to tell you that this, this thing that seems like everybody wants it and they'll be satisfied, it's never, it's never proved to be satisfying for them. And then Paul says, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This points to a common theme in Paul's writings, which is God's incredible wisdom. In this doxology, he declares that God's judgments are beyond our understanding. It connects to Isaiah 55, 8, which says, for my thoughts, this is God talking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Throughout scripture, we see that God's wisdom and knowledge is infinitely greater than the wisdom and knowledge of people. 1 Corinthians 3.19, another thing that Paul writes, he says the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. And then he says it most exaggerated, in the most exaggerated way in 1 Corinthians 1.25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. I mean, God's not foolish and there's no foolishness in God, but Paul exaggerates this, right? He uses hyperbole to say, if there was any foolishness in God, it's still wiser than the thing that you call wisdom, I think it's really important. If you've ever been around a little kid, 
then you, you can maybe get a glimpse of this, right? Like little kids' logic is just so illogical sometimes, right? Like the way that they think just doesn't make any sense to those of us whose brains have fully developed, no offense kids, but like whose brains have fully developed and we know like, well, this, this, is, this is a terrible idea. You know, like, hey, dad, my kids have never done this. This is a made up illustration. But like, hey, dad, you know, I'm old enough now, I'm three years old, and uh, you told me once that I could walk across the street by myself, so I'm gonna go across Wilsonville Road by myself. You know, it's like, what? No, like that, that doesn't add up. And, and we, like if you're an adult, you know, like kids, like sometimes even our foolishness is wiser than theirs. And this is what the Bible tells us about God, that we are like little children, and he is, you know, like the adult who has the thing figured out. And man, let me just, it's so important because everybody should know this, it seems like. It just, it's, maybe we don't pay attention to it, but the wisdom of the world always changes all the time. <laughs> We've really seen that in the last year, right? Like what was right one minute was not right the next minute when it came to being safe. And it just kept switching and switching and switching as people learned more and more and more, right? Like rightfully, they kept changing things because they learned more. That makes total sense. But it also illustrates how little we know, right? And as we study and study and study, we have the greatest minds in the whole world working on all the same thing for a year, right? And they still keep figuring things out. And God in heaven the whole time just knows. He just knows. And, and here's, I think this is really important, right? Because, because you're, either gonna, you're either gonna take your wisdom and your knowledge from something here on earth or you're gonna look to the Bible to find true wisdom and knowledge that has been given us from God through people. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna do one of two things. You're gonna either just find your wisdom in culture and what culture says this year, you know, and then you'll have to adjust next year and we see a lot of that, right? Like, I mean, comedy is a great illustration of that because so many comedians that everybody found funny 10 years ago are now no longer seen as nice people because of the jokes they made 10 years ago. So it was totally okay 10 years ago to make fun of, let's just any, fill in any blank there. It was, make, it was okay to make fun of these people but now 10 years later it's not and so we look at those people as jerks. As Christians we say, well, you, you know, we, we kind of knew it was never good to make fun of anybody. Whether we did it or not, I don't know. But like we, we knew that it was never good to make fun of people created in the image of God like that. You know, whether we agree with them or disagree with them or have their morals or not their morals, we knew that that was always not a good thing to do. But the wisdom of the world just constantly changing, 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 ever turning over, becoming something different. And you will either take culture or you'll just trust your own intuition, which is equally dangerous in my mind. And you will say, well, I'm going to believe these things. Or you will turn to a source that is outside of this world. And I would offer you that the Bible is that best source that you can look to because it is God's word given to us through people and it is presented to us so that we might take some of the wisdom of God. And so Paul here, he says these really incredible, important things in this doxology, but, but, but I think that what's really important for us is not what Paul says in the doxology, but why he says it. And it's basically because he's pausing at the end of everything that he said in the book, the letter called Romans, this letter written to a group of Christians in Rome. In, in the previous 11 chapters, as I mentioned, Paul has given a comprehensive account of this thing called 
the gospel. And let's just look at that. There's some verses that really help us summarize everything that's been said in the book of Romans. The first is Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Paul says a couple of things here that are really, really important in Romans 3, 23 through 24, which is really a, a summary statement. It's a conclusion statement. He says, each and every one of us has sinned. We have fallen short of God's glory. God is glorious. God is perfect. God is in every way better than humanity, and we have not lived up to that, nor have we lived up to the opportunity to exist and live within that glory someday. We've all fallen short because of the sins that we have committed, but you can be justified, that is to be declared right, by his grace, which is an undeserved gift, and that gift is the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he explains further, he says, look, the sin that you have committed, it deserves death. And man, when I preached on this, you know, several weeks ago now, I talked about how that death is, you know, really a threefold death. It is, it is physical death that we all know will come to us unless Jesus comes back first. But it's also the moral decay that exists within us, the, the death in the places that nobody can see. We know that there is decay within us, that things are not what they should be, that left to our own vices and ways, we destroy as humans because there is death within us. And then it is eternal death. Our sin, the things that we have done wrong, the disobedience that we've had towards God, it deserves death, but you can have this free gift, this gracious gift called eternal life. Life that lasts forevermore in the glorious perfection of heaven. And it is, again, in Christ Jesus. You'll notice a theme. It all comes through Jesus. And then Romans 10, 9, because the question, because, well, I want that eternal life. It should come, right? That sounds good to me. Like, I recognize that I do things wrong. I recognize that things aren't right within me. I recognize that I fear what happens at the end of this life. And in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two really important things. One, you have to declare Jesus as Lord. That just means he's king of everything, that you choose to give him your life. You say, I'll try my best to be obedient to you. I'll follow you as, uh, as Jesus talks about it with his disciples. I will follow you. I'll do what you want. I'll strive to do what you want anyway. I'm gonna do my best to live my life in the way that you have called to live my life. But this other part is equally important. And you believe, you believe that God raised him from the dead. It's really what we're here to celebrate tonight, right? And Paul says, if you, if you want this gift of eternal life, if you want salvation, if you want to be saved from all the things you need saved from, well, it comes down to you making Jesus the Lord, the king of your life, and you believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And then you will have salvation. We're going to come back to that. 
Because Paul said a lot of other things kind of in between this in the book of Romans about what we get. That word saved is, you know, we think of just living in heaven someday, but there's so much more to it from Paul. Part of the reason for the doxology is he's not just thinking like, I get to go to heaven someday. There's all of these things that, that Paul connects with in an intimate way. Righteousness, like he, that's a big word in the book of Romans. Righteousness is to be made right. It's to be made innocent. Despite the fact that we are guilty, it's a legal term saying, you know what, we're guilty, but we can be made innocent. Justification, which is just to be declared innocent, which I think is cool. I maybe minimize that too much, but it's, it's awesome to be innocent, but it's nice to have somebody tell you that you are innocent, right? Even if you already knew you were innocent. And that somebody in the letter called Romans is God himself saying, you know what? Because of your belief in Jesus, because you've declared him Lord, you are innocent and I declare you innocent. And then reconciliation, we, get a, we were enemies with God and then we get to be made right with God. And not only that, but we get to be reconciled to other people of different nationalities and races and backgrounds in Jesus. I love that. And then we get to be adopted. That's part of the reconciliation. We become part of the family of God. The reason that we are excited to see each other here, that, you know, people that have been missing and they're back and it's so, it's such a great day. And just because of that even, is because we are part of the family of God and we don't have just normal human relationships, but we have these deeper relationships that the Bible describes as brother and sister all the time and it's because we share the same heavenly father we serve God together and he's invited us into his family and we get sanctification which is really just freedom from from all these things we wish we could stop doing anyway most of the time anyway and and on top of that we get rich blessing we get some of these richness rich the richness of God poured out upon us forgiveness and freedom as I just mentioned and family and life and love and the presence of the Holy Spirit and peace, man, that's such a good one, and connection to God and prayer and mercy and removal of our shame and big word in the book of Romans, we get victory. We get victory over, you know, basically everything that is, you know, up to this point had victory over us. And here's what's so cool. We also get glory. So even though we get all that now, like it's even gonna be better in eternity when Jesus returns and sits on his throne and and rules and reigns on this earth. And so not only do we get all this stuff now, but we get to live on a new earth someday, which I think is a incredible idea that I get to hang out here with all of its beauty and mountains like Mount Hood and rivers and creeks and fun things to do and sports, but I get to do all of it without the fear of, of sickness or, or mourning or death. Seems like a pretty good deal. And it all comes from believing in Jesus. And here's what's so cool about it all is it's all, and it's all available to you no matter what you have done or who you are. In fact, right before this doxology, right before Paul bursts forth in praise, he's answering this question. Can people reject God so long or so strong that God rejects them? And and we talked about this just last week. The answer to that question for Paul is not while they are living. As long as a person has breath in their lungs, they still have the opportunity to declare that Jesus is Lord and to believe in their hearts that he came back from the dead. And if they will, then all of the things I've just mentioned mentioned will come into their lives. Wow. It doesn't matter if you've been a self-righteous person or a sinful rebel, you can be saved if you place your faith in the work of Jesus. Now under all of that is this idea that Jesus made it possible 
by dying for our sins. He, he lived a perfectly sinless life. And at the end of that perfectly sinless life, he died a horrific death on a cross. He, he died an excruciating physical death, but even more a torturous spiritual death. Because when he was nailed to the cross, he was, he was hanging there on that cross, all of the sins that we, you, me, and everybody around you have committed were placed upon him and he really did suffer hell, hell, while he hung there on that cross. And so he did this and all you have to do is, is declare him Lord of your life and believe that he didn't just stay dead but came back to life and you can be saved. Now, here's what I know. Knowing all of that mentally does not cause us to break forth in doxology. Knowing that spiritually though, knowing that personally though, that's what causes us to break forth in praise. And that's exactly the story for Paul. I think it's so important not to look at Paul as some theologian going, hey, here's all the stuff you need to know, but a man who is completely changed by God. And when he bursts forth in praise, it's not because this is true for the world, it's because it's true for him. And he knows how it's impacted his life. If you don't know Paul, let me tell you about him. Paul was a Pharisee. This was like the strictest Jewish religious sect. He was uh, part of this, this group that, that basically did everything they could possibly do in order to be right with God, to have that righteousness and that justification and all that flows from it. They did everything they could do. They made up, God had rules and then they just made up more rules in order to follow the rules because they wanted so desperately to be right with God. Paul worked his butt off in order to have the things that I have just described as available to you and I who will place our faith in Jesus, who will declare him as Lord and believe that he has risen from the dead. And not only that, but Paul, he was, he was so focused on being right with God that it turned him into a wretched sinner. Because when the first Christian was killed for their faith, Stephen, Paul was holding the coats of the people throwing stones at this man, stoning him until he was dead. And after that, Paul grew up and said, I can do more. And here's what we read in Acts 9, 1 through 5. Meanwhile, Saul, which was his name prior to his conversion, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Murderous threats. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a loud voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Paul went from being a person helping to take the lives of Christians to a person giving his life for Christ. And it was all because he encountered the resurrected Jesus. You see, Paul doesn't look at humanity and say, wow, the resurrection was great for humanity. Paul understands that the resurrection changed his life. And here's, here's the deal. I mean, you say, well, I mean, what did Paul really gain? You know, I mean, in fact, his life became 
many ways significantly worse from an outsider's perspective. He went from respect, kind of top dog in a male-driven society. He was, you know, a male and he was a guy that had political power because of his standing as a Pharisee and religious power. I mean, this guy was on top of the world. He probably made a decent salary. And then he went from that to, to like, basically walking around the known earth telling people about Jesus and having people mad at him all the time. I mean, that's, that's the life change for Paul. But oh, listen to Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here's a man that knew, not just intellectually, intellectually, but personally and deeply, he knew, he knew that when he encountered the resurrected Christ, when he decided to declare him Lord because he came to the belief that he had come back from the dead, it changed his life and he was so full because of the richness of God towards him that even though his life, I mean, whatever we're against, I now consider lost. I mean, he, he says, I have lost all things. He lost everything, but he feels like he has gained everything. And that can be true for each and every one of us. And the reality is that when Paul breaks forth in this doxology, when he starts to celebrate, I don't think it's because he's like, wow, I intellectually laid forth a great argument for, for the, the work and person of Jesus. It's because he gets to the end of this incredible description and I think it hits him. That's, that's what took place in my heart. That's what happened to me. You know, we're here to celebrate Easter and, 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 you know, it's this incredible story of, of God coming from heaven to earth and living perfectly and then dying. But if he stayed dead, that's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It says, you know, if, if resurrection doesn't happen, then man, Christians are to be pitied because we just believe this fake thing. But we as Christians know it did. We don't just know that because of great proofs and, you know, great arguments for it. We know it because we've encountered the resurrected Savior and it's impacted us incredibly. I mean, Jesus, and this is, this is not just Paul. This is, this is every one of Jesus' friends while he walked on earth or just about every one of his friends. I mean, he died, right? And even though he said, look, I'm dying for the sins of the world and he had given them a whole bunch of warning. When he died, they were like huddled up in a little room, scared to death to do anything. And these women start walking to the grave on Easter morning to put burial spices on him. I mean, they're fully expecting to go through the burial process and they're all mourning and they're all wrecked because they thought he was gonna do something important and then it appeared that he didn't. He just died. And then they show up to the grave and he's not there. And an angel says he's, re- he's risen. Daniel read that for us this morning. He has risen. And then they immediately start to walk back to tell the disciples and then Jesus meets them. And then Jesus meets the other friends like the, the men in his you know, kind of group and he meets them. And just about all of them, every one of those men, they lose everything. They lose everything. I mean, almost all of them died, literally, because, because of their belief that Jesus got out of the grave. 
but none of them, I mean, some of them wrote the parts of Bible and man, they don't seem upset about it at all. <laughs> because they know that when Jesus rose from the grave, it changed everything for the better in places that nobody can see. I mean, this is, this is so important. And one of the, I mean, he says at the very end, he said, I'd bring up one more thing. For, from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And I think that we need to recognize that all of this is only available in Jesus. It's only available through Jesus. It's only available because of Jesus. It's only available be, because and through and to him. I mean, that's it. That's what Paul says. There's no other place to find this. And you're gonna, man, some people, you're gonna spend your whole lives looking for all of the, the things I just described to be made right and to feel whole and to find family and to know that you're connected to the creator of the universe and to have internal satisfaction that is not based on external circumstances and to find the family, you know, that goes beyond just we have things in common and I mean, you're gonna search your whole life, but you won't find it anywhere but Jesus. And when you found it in Jesus, you'll declare just like Paul, to him be glory forever. We believe that God is glorious. We believe that God reveals that glory to us. And this just means that he is fully and wholly better than us. I mean, everything that makes God better, that's God's glory. His power, his might, his knowledge, his love, his grace, it all makes God glorious. And he reveals that to us. But as Christians, it becomes, we, we just want to. Maybe it doesn't become our job. We just want then to in turn reveal that glory ourselves. We want to show the world how glorious our God is when we come, when we come to salvation. And, and this is my testimony. This is my story. Because the reason I celebrate Easter isn't because it seems like a great idea for you. It's because it's radically changed my life. An encounter with the resurrected Savior changed my life. When I was four years old, um, I heard a sermon saying, if you want to go to heaven, then pray this prayer. Seemed like a good, good idea. I could pray a prayer to get to heaven. I mean, I didn't know much about heaven, but it, that's a thumbs up, right? Like, I'll take that. So four years old, I, I prayed this, this prayer. God, I believe that you died for my sins. Please save me from them. Something to that effect. I don't remember the exact words. It was a while ago now. And then for the next 13 years, God was a part of my life believed all these things, cared about, you know, church and things like that to some degree. God was always taking care of me. But my life wasn't devoted to it. There wasn't gonna be a lot of doxologies like the one that you read from Paul. And at 17 years old, um, some of you have heard this story a lot of times. At 17 years old, I knew my life wasn't what it should be. But I was dating this, this solid Christian girl. And in fact, if you've never heard this story, I kind of pretended that my relationship with Jesus was really good in order to get this girl to date me in the first place. I, she said, how's your relationship with Jesus? I said, what every good Christian young man should say, it could be better. Made me sound like I really cared, you know, like, oh yeah, this guy's very serious about his spiritual life. He sees all the flaws and failures. I grabbed a CD from my uncle's uh, room, a Christian CD, put it in my car, took the rap CD out, put the Christian CD in, picked her up for our first date at church. You know, she was fooled from the very beginning and we got several months in and I was in love with this girl and I really felt like she needed to know that I wasn't quite what I had looked like and so one day 
I just confessed to her. This is, here's the deal. I'm not where I need to be. Wasn't a big deal. Went home. Didn't think much of it. She took it pretty well. I kind of changed by then. Uh, and then that night, man, that night, the resurrected Savior, you know, like Paul on that road, he just whispered in my ear, not vocally. I don't know how I heard it. It's been a long time too. But he just said, you didn't need to confess to her. You need to confess to me. And that night for the first time in my life, I realized what a wretched sinner I was and how incredibly, incredibly gracious it was for God to send his son to die for my sins. And I have not, I mean, I wept, man. I wept that night. I wish I could say I've been perfect since then. I haven't, but I can tell you that these words make much more sense. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of my God. He has given me righteousness and justification and reconciliation and adoption and sanctification and blessing and the glory to look forward to. And I want to celebrate him and the fact that he came back from the dead. Now, all of this is available to you. And, and I would just say, man, Jesus died and rose again. And so what I would ask from you today is if you're not a Christian, man, if you've never made Jesus your Lord because you believe that he is, he is the resurrected Savior, then I would say to you today, do it. And maybe there's a still small voice whispering into your soul, repent, confess, follow me. There is a tendency to just push it down and move on because of fear, I don't know, for a variety of reasons, but this morning, don't do it. Turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm making you my Lord because I believe that you died and rose again for my sins. And if you are a Christian, we gotta be people that really celebrate this. And if you find that your reaction to the, the day, Easter, you kind of showed up, you're happy to put an outfit on, is not like you know making the game-winning jumper, then I would ask you to just do your best to remember all, all that Jesus has provided for you by coming back from the dead. All that God has provided for you by coming, by bringing Jesus back from the dead. The reality for us who are Christians is that we can go a long time, right? And we, we live in a state of having these things. And we can forget how incredible they are. And then we don't really celebrate Jesus. But this morning, remember the righteousness and justification, reconciliation and adoption, sanctification and blessing and the Holy Spirit's work and the glory of God. And truly celebrate him like somebody just made the winning shot.